The scripture reading for today is from Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. And as always, you can follow along in your bulletin, in your Bible, or of course on the screen behind me. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have this redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kelly. Good morning, everybody. Glad you made it out. Let's see. Some people might be arriving pretty soon. (laughs) Uh, Don't shame them if they walk in late. I have a question for you this morning. What do you suppose is the most common type of question that pastors get? I'm going to give you three possibilities. Is it Is it a question of faith like, who is Jesus and how do I follow him? That's option number one. Option number two, is it a a question of doctrine like, if God is a good and loving God, why is there evil in the world? Or number three, is it a question of direction maybe? Maybe it is, uh, who should I pursue or date? Or should I take this job? Or should I move to this city? Who, think, who thinks it's the first one? Questions of faith. Nobody. Not a single person. Wow. <laughs> Doctrine. Anybody thinks it's that one? Yeah. Yeah. What about direction? So number three. Number three has it. Number three has it. Actually, number two is a, is a close second. So you guys were kind of tracking with me there. Uh, but I think it's actually a good thing that God's people are asking that question uh, and they want to know what God's will is for their, their life. So it's a good thing. Uh, and as we examine the scriptures this morning, we're going to be learning about God's will. But right away, I want to, to say something that may be obvious this morning, and that's this. If you're pursuing something that's not consistent with the word of God, if it's not consistent with the character of God, if it's leading you away from God, it's not his will for you. It's clearly not his will for you. Now, sometimes that's not so obvious, and why would I say that? Jeremiah the prophet says this in in chapter 17. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In other words, when we're thinking about pursuing something according to God's will, our heart is involved. And guess what? Our hearts are very deceptive. We think we know what we want. We think we know why we want it, but we could actually be deceiving ourselves. And so we have to be wary. We have to not presume that we actually know what's best for us. If you're a parent, you know when you look at your young children, you know so many times they want something and you know, well, that's not a good thing for them. And it's the same way with us in spiritual matters. We often don't know 
what is best for us. So we ought to be weary of ourselves. Well, most of the questions concerning God's will and direction in, in your life, uh, those are, are not moral in nature, actually. I mean, it could be between choosing between the red car or the blue car, or the brunette or the blonde, or something like that, right? Uh, it's not a moral question. It's not like you're saying, uh, God, should I be an accountant or should I be a drug dealer? It's not like that, um, so how do you decide in those situations, right? Because the Bible doesn't prescribe what to do in situations like that. The Word of God does say, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord, and he will, he will guide you. So we ought to be seeking him in prayer. We ought to be examining things through the lens of Scripture as well. Scripture also encourages us to seek godly counsel, uh, we ought to discern our heart, but if we've been doing all the, these things, what do we do then? And that's where wisdom and understanding come in, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in the scriptures. But we have to get out of our mind this idea that there's just one path that God has for us. And if we veer off that one path, somehow we're outside of God's will, outside of God's Blessing. That idea is not really supported anywhere in Scripture. In these not moral situations, you have freedom. And so it's really not a question about choosing what is right, but it's about choosing what is wise. And so today, as we look at the Scriptures, we're going to learn about God's will for us as we look at Paul's powerful prayer. And to continue with that alliteration, we're going to look at three ideas. We're going to look at the prayer's purpose, the prayer's precepts, and then lastly, the prayer's power. So I want to jump right in and look at the prayer's purpose. And, and before we look at that, I want to look at actually the content of the prayer. It has a twofold content. And that twofold content is one of thanksgiving and one of supplication. If you remember last week in verse three, uh, Paul said, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. That's thanksgiving. Why was he thanking God? He was thanking God because the gospel was producing faith, love, and hope in the Colossians. And now this week in verse nine, it says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, that's the supplication, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now note in these verses, verses three and nine, uh, the use of always, I always give thanks. I don't cease to pray for you. Paul is constant in prayer for the Colossians. And you may think that this morning, okay, that's for the apostle, that's for ministers, but that's not for me. But elsewhere in the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians 5, the apostle Paul says to pray without ceasing. And so it's for all of us. Because prayer shows that we need God. Prayer shows that we're dependent upon God. It's a barometer of sorts. And when we fail to pray, we're basically saying that we could do life on our own, and the, the, the reality is we can't do that. So that's the twofold content of the prayer, thanksgiving and supplication. What's the purpose? In verse nine, he is asking that you may be filled, the Colossians may be filled with the knowledge of his will. This is great news. 
God wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not only does he reveal himself to his people, but he wants his people to know his will. That's great. We're not left wondering or guessing, what does God want me to do? There are so many other places in Scripture where the Scripture explicitly gives us God's will. In 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, it says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so if you're here this morning, you've yet to follow Christ in faith. God wants you to follow Christ in faith. God wants you to come to the knowledge of the truth, not to be left in the darkness. Knowledge of God's will, it consists of spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word spiritual is referring to the spirit as opposed to the world or anything else. Meaning the source of wisdom is from the Spirit, is from God himself. He is the one who provides wisdom. In James it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And so who are you going to this morning, or where are you getting your wisdom from? The source of wisdom is from God That word in the Greek is sophia. It is the capacity to understand and to act wisely. It is skill in living. It's understanding situations. It's understanding circumstances. It's seeing reality the way God actually is seeing things. It's especially understanding God's holy word, which reveals his ways and his will. I think we all know of people who make foolish decisions in life, either regarding money or relationships. The purpose of knowing God's will is to bring glory to him. And God's will is applying his word rightly to our lives. And so when we think about the purpose of applying God's word to our lives, it is to what end? Why ought we to do this? And the scripture gives us that purpose in verse 10. It's so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Lord, uh, pleasing him. What that means is to walk in a way that is fitting of someone who is a Christian, someone who calls himself a disciple of the Lord. And we do that in such a way that brings pleasure to God. G.K. Beale, who is a professor and theologian, says it this way, it's living in a way that matches the character of Jesus. Now, I know at times, as I think through my life, when I've sought God's direction and his will, that there have been times that I do this to satisfy myself. There are times that I do this because I think I know what's best for me and I know what I want, That's why I'm actually seeking God's will. And the scripture here brings clarity about this situation for us. If you're in a situation where you're seeking God's will, hear this from his word. The reason you ought to seek his will is to please him. It's not to please ourselves. The purpose of knowing his will is to please God. 
And there's a beautiful paradox in this. As we seek to please the Lord, the wonderful thing is he actually gives us the deepest desires of our heart. Well, how do we do this? How do we live in a way that is fitting as a Christian? How do we please the Lord? Uh, How do we walk in a way that matches the character of Jesus? The prayer gives us three ways, and these are the three precepts, our second point. And here are the three precepts that we're going to unpack. The first one is bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. The second one is being strengthened for the purpose of endurance and patience. And the third one is the giving of thanks. So let's look at that first precept. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We see this in verse number 10. And if those words sound a little bit familiar to you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ring in your ears if you were here last week that this is an allusion to the creation mandate. And last week we talked about how the gospel is bearing fruit. It's increasing in the whole world. And now here we're talking about the gospel bearing fruit in an individual believer. An individual believer is a new creation, and he is bearing this new mandate. And so the gospel is bearing fruit in his heart as he's increasing in the knowledge of God. And I want you to see that strong connection that the Bible is making between knowledge and works or conduct. The two go together. Because if you're increasing in the knowledge of God, it should have an impact on the way that you live your life. It's really a sad thing when you see a Christian, a believer, um, who is, is so schooled in theology, and they've got tons of books on their bookcases, and their knowledge outpaces their good works. Their knowledge outpaces their obedience. They know all about the grace and character of God but they're not showing that to their coworkers. They're not showing that to their neighbors. Because knowledge in and of itself is useless. It's useless. The scripture says that knowledge does what? It puffs us up. It makes us prideful. John Frame, I'm going to paraphrase him. He says, you don't really know your theology unless you know its application. You have to be able to apply your theology to say you actually know what it means. You don't know your theology unless you practice its application. You know, I used to play a lot of golf uh, many years ago. I still love the game. I don't get uh, too many opportunities these days. I have great respect for these pros who stand in front of giant crowds, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars at stake. They're on on national television, especially in these major championships, right? And this, you know, there's a, there's a three-foot putt on the line. Um, there's a lot that goes into golf. You may not realize how technical it is. If you're a golfer, you know this because you may be like me. You've got books about this. You've got videos, and you've watched all the YouTube videos, and you've spent hours and hours watching the Golf Channel, right? All of that information is useless, Unless you take it out to the course and you put it to practice. In the same way, you could fill your head with the Bible. You can fill your head with theology if you don't put it to practice 
it is of no use. And so that's the first precept. We are to bear fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Those two go together. The second precept, how do we live in a way that's worthy? In verse 11, it says, strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We are to get power. We're to be strengthened. And this is not just any type of power. This is God-sized power. This is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And this is great news for us. But it's not power to use to further our agenda, to further pleasing ourselves. This is power for a particular purpose. The scripture said this power is being given to you so that you can endure, so that you can have patience and with joy. Kent Hughes used to be a pastor. He's an author. He says this. He sees endurance and patience as things that are needed to hold one's position in a battle. And for the Colossians, it was needed to withstand the evil teaching that was assaulting the church, that threatened to destroy the church. And if you're in Christ this morning, and if you're seeking to follow his ways and walk in his will, you're going to need endurance. You're going to need patience. Why? Because you're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. You're going to face opposition, not only from the outside, but you're going to face opposition mostly from yourself. So you're going to need patience. You're going to need endurance. But these things are not alone. They are accompanied by joy. And so when we talk about endurance and patience, it's not this, I'm going to buckle up and endure and, and be patient, or I'm going to grin and bear it. I'm going to smile on the outside, whereas on the inside, I'm screaming, get out of the left-hand lane. It's for passing only. It's not that type of patience and endurance. It's patience and endurance actually with joy. Something that we actually can't manufacture of our own. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness happens when we see great circumstances and things are going well for us. But joy can happen in the midst of trial and in the midst of suffering and it's the fruit that only the spirit produces. So that's precept number two, that we are strengthened with power so that we can endure, so that we can have patience with joy. Third precept, how do we live in a way that's pleasing to God? How do we live in a way that's fitting? It's the giving of thanks. We see this in verse 12. And in verses 12 through 14, we see three reasons to give thanks. And listen to these verbs. Because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Those verbs are past tense. God has already done something for us, and that's why we are giving thanks for the work he has done. Now, I want you to see here, there's an allusion here to Old Testament Israel. This idea that Israel was delivered from bondage from Egypt. They were made a kingdom for God. And they were given an inheritance. That's what we studied in Joshua, the inheritance of the land. And in a similar way, if you are in Christ, he has delivered you. 
He's delivered you from the domain of darkness. Where would you be if Christ didn't grab a hold of you and deliver you? He transferred you into a new kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son, and he has given you, he has qualified you for an inheritance. That greatest inheritance that we have is Christ himself. How has he qualified us? The scripture tells us by Christ's work of redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. In other words, it's not our work. We didn't earn being qualified. Now, as fallen human beings living in a fallen world, this is, this is something that we can spend so much of our time, so much of our energy, so much of our focus on trying to be approved, trying to be qualified. And you think about it, the world is set up this way. <laughs> you cannot avoid it in the world. You are qualified, you are approved by your talent, your resources, the way you look, how you perform. So whether you're in school or whether you're at work or whether you're talking to your boss or your credit card company or a loan company, it's all based on what you can earn and bring to the table. But the greatest approval rating that we can ever have is being approved by God himself. My days in the corporate world uh, were very interesting. As a manager, one of the things uh, that we were told from HR was, we only pay for performance. You may have heard that, either on one side of the table or the other. Uh, we only pay per, for performance. And then, and then in the workplace, there was this uh, saying that we had, it was a terrible saying, um, you're only as good as your last project. Have you ever heard that? Isn't that terrible? I mean, you, could, you could work for a company for 20 years and, and, and generate millions and millions of dollars, but if you mess up on this next project, you're not worth it. In other words, the world is telling you that you are approved, you are qualified by what, by what you can do, how you can earn it. And the good news of the gospel is we are approved by a God who has done it for us. All of these messages that the world is giving us, it can really wreak havoc on us, can it, right? Create all sorts of anxiety. Think of, think of your own anxiety. What's the source of that? A lot of times it goes back to something like what I'm talking about where you have to have approval, where you have to be qualified, where you have to earn your spot or your position or your reputation. But the gospel, it undermines this idea that the world is putting out. So what are you worth? What are you worth? If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, the gospel is telling you that you are worth his precious blood, period. That's the antidote to this message that the world is giving you, that you're only worth what you can bring. You're only worth what you can earn. And the gospel says, no, Christ has earned it for you. That is grace. And so I want to connect these three precepts back to 
the will of God. We said the will of God, the purpose of the prayer is the will of God. And the will of God is that we should walk in a way that's worthy, pleasing to him. And then we have these three precepts that tell us how we do that. And so if you are a person this morning and you are looking for God's will, I want to encourage you this morning as you wait for God's will, focus on what he has already shown you is his will in his word. He's shown you already what his will is. So focus on that while you wait upon the Lord. And if something comes your way, you at least have these three. There's others, but you at least have these three to evaluate against. Is this opportunity going to cause me to increase in bearing fruit for God and increase in the knowledge of God? Is it going to cause me to give more thanks to what God has done? Is it going to strengthen me for endurance and patience? If it is, well, then I know that that is God's will for me. Perhaps this opportunity aligns with that. So that's the precepts of the prayer. Let's look lastly at the prayer's power. How do we have power to do this? How do we have power to walk in a manner worthy and pleasing to God? And I want to point to two little phrases one that's in verse 11, it says, according to his glorious might. And then in verse 14, it says, in whom, that is the Son, that's in Christ. Those two phrases are pointing to the Spirit's power, and they're pointing to our union in Christ. Our, the Spirit's power and our union in Christ. If you think of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Right? We're talking about having patience and joy. Those things we cannot do of our own. They are the fruit of the Spirit. And so it's the Spirit of God that is working in us to bear fruit. Jesus would say it this way in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. That's union with Christ. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's abiding in Christ. It's our union in Christ. Think about this. Uh, that we are able to be pleasing to God, Right? If Christ is in, in us through his spirit, he's working through the spirit to produce the fruit of the spirit. If we are in Christ, our heavenly father looks upon us and he sees his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. And so as sons and daughters, we are worthy and pleasing because Christ is worthy and pleasing to God. But walking in a worthy manner and trying to please God comes from and is because of the fact that we are already approved. And this statement makes all of the difference in the world. So I want you to follow me in this. If you're a parent, oh, think about this. Think about a parent who withholds love and approval to their young children. What happens to those kids? Well, they, they spend their time trying to earn their parents' love and their approval by the things that they're doing. The good news this morning is, church, we are not these type of children. 
We have already been given love. We have been already been qualified. We have been given approval. And you know what that does to us? It frees us to delight in pleasing him. That's why I say it makes all the difference. That we walk in a manner worthy and pleasing to the Lord because we are already approved, not to earn his approval. And so one last question remains about this. Can we then be displeasing to God? Seems like the, the scripture is indicating that we can. And yes, we can incur the fatherly's, the father's displeasure. God is not pleased when we sin. God is not pleased when we sin against him, when we sin against other people, but it is the displeasure of a loving father. His displeasure actually is an expression of his love towards you. And again, I'm going to go back to the, the, the parent analogy. If you're a parent, you know you love your kids. You love your kids even when they hit their sister on the head with a toy. But you're not pleased in that moment. And your displeasure is because they are doing harm to someone else. They might even be doing harm to themselves, or they're severing their relationship with you. But your love for that child does not change one ounce. And the Father's love for us it does not change one ounce, but he can be displeased in us. And you, as a child of God, you may feel his love and experience his love actually the most when he's displeased with you and he brings discipline in your life because he's doing that because he loves you. Now, there's one key thing to, to note here is that this is a relationship of the heavenly father with his sons and daughters. And we're brought into this relationship with the father. We can call him father because we're brought into that relationship by his grace and through faith. The author to the Hebrews says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so here is the bad news of the gospel. We've talked about a lot of good news. There is a bad news to the gospel. If you are not in Christ by faith, your life is not pleasing to God. If you're not in Christ by faith, your life is not pleasing to God. There's no amount of good works that you can set about doing. You could spend the rest of your life trying to do good works, and it's not acceptable to God. Without faith, you cannot please him. So I encourage you this morning, if you have yet to follow Christ by faith, trust in his work. He earned your acceptance Trust not in your own work. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, indeed, you, your grace is deep and wide. For you set your love upon us by giving us your dear Son, offering him as a sacrifice for our sins. And somehow by your grace, we follow him in faith. You look upon his perfect record of righteousness, his perfect credit score, and you put that to our account. 
That is amazing grace. We praise you this morning and we rejoice because of your great work. In Jesus' name, amen.